0: IEEE SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world's standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Maria Palombini with the IEEE Standards Association. Uh, I lead the healthcare life science practice. So much is changing in the world of health. We have new technologies, tools, applications, all of us which should make us think, how can we rethink the approach to health so that we have patients like you and me end up with better health? We need wearables, biosensors, and other connected medical devices to be safe and secure so that we can do more with them while protecting the privacy of patients. Together with the IEEE SA WAMI program, let's rethink the strategy on security and safety before the device even touches the patient. To learn more about WAMI and help set a standard for securing connected wireless medical devices, visit ieee wamiiorg and wham, you can make an impact on the healthcare ecosystem. So I'm very excited with me to have uh, the chairs of P2791, Raja Mazumdar and Jonathan Keeney. Uh, just for all of you who don't know who P2791 is, uh, we just actually released that standard last month, very fresh off the presses. And it is the is IEEE standard for bioinformatics analysis generated by high throughput sequencing to facilitate communication. Yes, it is quite a mouthful, but very, very important, very cutting edge application of this technology. And you'll see even its importance today in the middle of this global pandemic. So just let you know, Raja is a professor of biochemistry and molecular medicine and co-director of the McCormick Genomic Proteomic Center at George Washington University. And Jonathan is an assistant research professor in bioinformatics department of biochemistry and molecular medicine, also at George Washington University. And he's a member of the executive steering committee for BioCompute. So let's get to the great stuff. Raja. We hear genome sequencing seems to be talk within the science community about solving the precision medicine puzzle. We know genomes generate great insight, but a lot of it in many different places. Therefore, what exactly is BioCompute and how will it help address this growing challenge?
2: Thank you, Maria, and and that's a great question. And uh, genome sequencing, in my mind, has revolutionized the way we do biomedical research worldwide. When sequencing started happening, the cost of sequencing went down a lot because the cost went down, it became really easy to generate a lot of data. And anytime you generate a lot of data, you have to analyze it to get any knowledge or any information out of it. So you need what is called bioinformatics. Now, the problem that happened was that with all this genome sequencing data, different bioinformatics tools were getting used, but it was not being well documented. And that's where biocompute comes in. So biocompute helps organize
0: all of this information in a way that is human and machine readable. Yeah, and I I, I would add to that. I think you're right that genome research can really generate Really great insights, uh, but exactly how sometimes may not be clear. Uh, So, for example, the degree of variation in some certain spot in the genome and whether or not these contribute to disease or just normal variants is sort of an ongoing question, for example. And genome research is still fairly new, so there's still thousands of questions like this. And the way that genome data gets turned into useful information depends on the question that's being asked and uh, the way that the researcher is asking that question and, and, and the way that they're trying to answer it. And so because of all that variability, it can be very hard to follow what someone did. And so there's there's been a real need for uh, some way of communicating that information in a clear and articulate way. Some labs have tried to standardize the way that they report that sort of information on their own, and that's really great, but it's often specific to the way that they do things and not widely adopted. And so biocompute has been great because it's it really abstracts away the process of a computational analysis from any specific way of doing things. So it doesn't matter which software you use or which platform or which strategy and so on, you keep doing things exactly the way that you have been. Uh, And because there's been such a big community investment in building the standard, it will help meet the needs of the most number of people. So different groups will know exactly what to expect when communicating their work to each other.
1: Fascinating. Um, I know I've talked to your colleague, uh, Dr. Bahan Simonian, many times, and he tells me we're just starting to scratch the surface of the amount of data we can get from human genomes alone. So we know, and he said that a year ago, and and it really holds true. So this is fascinating work. So, so Jonathan, um, you know, we know that BioCompute is a public-private partnership, and we, we kind of shouldn't have to know, how did it came about with the FDA? And, you know, besides uh, the university and the FDA, who are some other partners? And more or less, like, what are the motivating factors to join forces? I'm sure this was not born overnight.
0: No, no it wasn't. Um, well, there's a big difference in a standard and the application of that standard. So, you know, maybe you could standardize a cigarette lighter for your car and they have the same dimensions and the same power and the same safety, et cetera. And then people go and start using it to charge their electronic devices. (laughs) So, you know, there's, there's a big difference between the way that something is standardized and the application of that standard. And so the public private partnership is meant to tackle issues like that. It's a great vehicle for a federal agency that's considering using the standard as a means to communicate next generation sequencing information to them. So they say, you know, this is, what we're considering doing um, as a means to apply that standard. And so the partnership will facilitate development, evolution, and use of the standard. And so, for example, that could be in terms of joint projects with a common goal uh, or formal integration of the standard into institutions or building extension domains that have their own consensus. So one of the cool things about BioCompute is that it's got this this user-defined extension domain. So the, the base biocompute will work for, you know, probably 99% of all use cases because it was built on this consensus. But there's going to be some specific applications where it may not. And so in order to deal with that, there's this extension domain built in so that different groups can kind of modify it in their own way. So the the, the partnership can kind of help by building some of those and things like that. So the the partnership is actually brand new. As you mentioned, the standard just published. And so we're we're recruiting for it right now.
2: So in addition to that, the, the partners uh, that we have been working with for now s- several years who contributed to the development of the standard are industry partners, pharmaceutical companies, bioinformatics platforms, companies, and, and so on, and also academic institutions. So a standard is only useful when different groups use it to communicate with each other also. So for example. Uh, academic institution may develop this really amazing protocol for detecting viruses or detecting drug resistance, mutation in viruses. And then industrial partner can then take it to the next level and make the the diagnostic product. And then they submit the product to FDA. So it's a whole ecosystem. And at every step, there there could be dozens, maybe sometimes more than that, people involved in developing this product. And it's critical that when something like this is being developed, that every step of the process is correctly recorded and also standardized. And Biocompute helps one achieve that. It's the it's whole process from all the way from the bench till it reaches the bedside. Biocompute actually has a very important role to play. So, last year, we did publish a paper in plus biology with several of our collaborators on how biocompute helps precision medicine.
1: I can totally uh, see that, Raja. i mean i'm so I'm so glad that you highlighted the point because, there are not many standards out there that I'm aware of uh, that can really give you the full gamut from bench to bedside. And this is one of the unique applications of the BioCompute standard. And the other interesting about this, Jonathan, was that I noticed you guys had a heavy focus on making it an open source standard. Do you want to maybe just explain a little bit why there was such a commitment or dedication to that concept?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, So the answer to, I think there's a couple of answers to that. One is that we've taken great pains to make the entire process adhere to what's called the FAIR standards, findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. And so this is a big part of that effort. Uh, And that's that's a a big, very big uh, effort in academia right now and, and in research generally to try and make research that conforms to that FAIR standard. Um, the other thing is, you know, like I said, individual labs have standardized the way that they've done things and it's that's great, but the real power of a language of communication like this is when lots and lots of people use it. We really needed to go through a formal standardization process that's well-recognized and has a far reach, but we wanted to do it in a way that still empowers the individual researchers who are very independent-minded. Uh, and so having an open open source repository allows different groups to build off of it in their own ways that might be integrated into their own systems. You know, so for example, if, if there's a private company that has some sort of proprietary process that they don't want to expose and they, there's something about it they want to keep to themselves, but they still want to build an internal way of handling that that is compatible with BioCompute, we've made it very easy to do that. So they can fork off a branch of the, the repository and kind of build off of it in their own way.
1: Excellent. The P2791, or I should say IEEE 2791 now, it's actually one of the first projects of, you know, the IEEE SSA's open source uh, program. So it, it, everything just fell into the right place. Speaking of that, Raja, so, you know, everybody right now has been... Um, you know, uh, we're for, we're focusing on the standard, the publishing of the standard, but there's a little bit more to biocompute in, in the full suite of opportunities and services that it can provide, you know, just beyond the actual standard. Maybe you could talk a little bit about them and how they actually all work together and help in the entire process.
2: Yes, so uh, using the biocompute, creating a biocompute, reading a biocompute and so on to get there, Uh, we do realize that uh, sometimes it it makes sense to have uh, demos or or training. So right now, for example, we are providing training to FDA regulatory scientists on how to evaluate a biocompute and use a biocompute. And these type of trainings, you know, we are also recording and we are going to make them available through biocomputeobject.org and other places, freely available where people can look at the recording, YouTube video kind of things. But on top of that, There is another thing that we have already started doing, which is registering the domain space for a biocompute. So, for example, if you are a pharmaceutical company and you're a big company and you have multiple products, multiple groups working on many, many projects and you want to register a particular uh, accession space for the biocompute, which means, let's say, you are company XYZ, so all your biocompute starts with XYZ. So we have a mechanism in place which allows institutes, companies, uh, whatever have you, to register their accession space within our biocompute object registry. So this will allow them to, be, to have unique identifiers for their biocompute objects as they go along so that they can refer to it when they are submitting something to FDA or submitting some research work to a journal or, or even for their own, own in-house lab notebooks. So this is really important. We also have ways where Uh, are are mechanisms for people who do not have the resources to create their own biocompute object database and their own interfaces to create a biocompute. So at biocomputeobject.org, there there are links which will take you to some tutorials to create a biocompute object which gets stored within the uh, biocomputeobject.org domain space. So those are some of the things that we are working with. There there are a few others that are going to come out within the next six months to a year. And we are really looking forward to, actually, we are already working on on some of the COVID-19 and the SARS-CoV-2 related issues that we all, in the top of our mind, uh, on everybody's mind. So Biocompute is also playing or, or, or at least we are trying to, to create bright computer objects which might help in that direction.
1: You took the words right out of my mouth for with regards to COVID-19 because we know this is a omnipresent pandemic consuming all of us. We we know that the race is on, right, to find the vaccine. Uh, hundreds of companies are getting into it. So. My question to you is, how can really biocompute help the researcher right now? And beyond just COVID-19, what would you, in your mind, say this is a great use case to use the biocompute standard, whether it's in vaccine or some other sort of application within the, the healthcare ecosystem?
2: Yes, that's something. I mean, I'm going to use the the, the COVID-19 uh, as, as, an, as an as an example, then I, I, can, I can talk about a little bit about a few other things. Right now, there are thousands of genomic sequences for the SARS-CoV-2 that are being generated. Many of them are getting deposited at NCBI or GISAID or other places. Many of these genomes, people are calling variation. So they say these genomes of SARS-CoV-2, which were isolated from, let's say, Germany, is different than what is being isolated from Australia there's a big bioinformatics application that has to happen for you to make those kind of statements, right? You first do next generation sequencing, you assemble all of the reads, and then you identify what are the mutations based on the reference strain that they're using. If I use the Wuhan reference strain, for example, and you use a different reference strain, our mutation profile will be different. And trying to dig in who is using what is time consuming, and actually makes it very hard to figure out how to compare and contrast results from different groups from around the world. If people were using biocompute objects, so when you tell me these are the mutations and this is the biocompute object which defines exactly how I found it, then when I analyze it, then I can know easily what exactly you did. And this is going to be important not only in identifying what are the different mutations, circulating mutations right now in the human population. It's going to help people who are working on vaccines or working on antivirals, who are working on drugs to see how the mutations are happening, let's say in the spike protein, which is one of the most important vaccine targets, the spike protein, which is a glycoprotein. So this is important now. It has been important in the past. It has. It will be important in the future. Talking about the past, So several years ago, there was an outbreak of food pathogen in in Germany, and next-generation sequencing data was used to identify the pathogen. Fast forward several years, there was another outbreak of a similar pathogen over in out here in the U.S. Now, if we had the biocompute object from the Germany study, then we could apply it and see, okay, so we are using the exact same methods to see if we are able to detect the pathogen that was detected in, uh, in in Germany. So it saves a lot of time, it just saves a lot of effort. But on top of that, it helps us also see how bioinformatics methods and other technologies are evolving over time. So for example, what if the current methods are more sensitive? So you use the old biocomputer object, you then improve upon it, to say, hey, now we can detect at a much lower level of pathogens uh, uh, using this biocompute because we are using a much more sensitive software than the name of the software and the version of the software than was in the biocompute. So all of these things are not only important to save time and money, but also helps us understand, are we actually getting better at doing some of these things over the years or are we just at standstill? And the algorithms are not getting better. So this is an easy and a quick way to evaluate these kinds of things because biocompute objects also has, uh, compute also has the input files, the output files, and also what are the possible errors that one, one can generate and a validation kit that, that is associated with the compute. In together, all of this can help a user to run analysis, what the original authors of the bicompute compute for that particular bicompute compute object had, had used and envisioned of what its purpose should be.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that, that was a really great answer. The, the one quick thing I would add to that is that there has actually been a, a similar use case uh, that I'll mention really quickly, which was uh, something called the ReSeq-TB pipeline. Uh, and that's a pipeline that the World Health Organization adopted for the detection of tuberculosis. And so one of the researchers who was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, actually came and presented at one of our workshop the ways that they're using biocompute for that pipeline for ways similar to what Roger was talking about. And so I think that's a great example because it's a situation where you have lots and lots of researchers that are all very geographically distributed around the world, and they all need to be on the same page fast, and they don't have time for these big errors in communication, and things need to be very clear. And so biocompute is perfect for that, and it lets researchers... Uh, as we said earlier, keep doing what they're doing without needing to change anything about their workflows. It just gets everyone on the same page as far as how that communication happens back and forth, and it sets expectations for uh, what data is in the document and where it exists, and so on. And since there's so many similarities with, with COVID nineteen research, I think that's that's a, a really good use case example to kind of pattern some of this work after, uh, and it also kind of helps demonstrate. The utility, you know, it sort of sets the precedence for using biocompute in that that kind of a way.
1: Well, excellent. Uh, I, I automatically could see that right away once I read uh, the full uh, standards um, deck about it. So, so Jonathan, this is not something you can uh, maybe so easily just pick up and go with. I imagine there may be some training, obviously in today's situation, it might be virtual. Do you guys have anything going on? How can people find out about if there's any kind of training or virtual training opportunities on this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we made it, tried to make it as easy to understand as possible. You know, that's, that's sort of the fundamental idea is grouping all of the information into these conceptually meaningful categories. So if you want to know the parameters, you go to the param- parametric domain. If you want to know the I.O. files, you go to the input-output domain. So, you know, at a, at a very basic, yeah, I get it kind of level, hopefully it will be relatively easy to understand. But you're right. It's, it's got a lot of depth to it and a lot of advanced things that you can do. Uh, And so as Raja mentioned, we are building training modules for the FDA right now to explain how to read a BCO, what information is in it, what to do in certain circumstances, and so on. And we can certainly build training modules for other groups based on our experiences, too. I think at this point, it's safe to say we're sort of subject matter experts in this space. Uh, And I think the best way to do that is just to reach out and to contact Raja and I. We are putting together a lot of different training modules and materials. We have a BCO editor that can help people. It's a a form-based way to build BCOs that's on the web, and it kind of walks you through building it. As I mentioned, there's more advanced things that you can do with it. So I I talked a little bit about the extension domain. There's a lot of things that you can do in that kind of a case if your your project is very specific, if you wanted to build a a bibliography domain or a supplemental domain or, or something like that. There's a lot of really cool things that you can do with it. And so we can we can most definitely help out with that. And the best way to do that is just to directly contact Raja and I.
1: Um, great, uh, so uh, we're up on our time. I wanna thank Raja and Jonathan for joining me today. Uh, I feel like we could have maybe made this interview for like two hours because there's so much great stuff in there. We didn't even start to scratch the surface of the opportunity for 2791. But also I wanna share with all of you out there that 2791 is actually part of a new pilot we're doing in the healthcare life science practice called the Rapid Activator Program. And it's exactly how it sounds. The idea is a recently published standard that we want to put to work and try to get some feedback on how it's performing in its environment. So, if it's a pharma biotech company or a research organization using it, and that way we can actually help educate on how to use the standard and what outcomes to look for and that kind of thing. So, if you're a researcher out there, or you know, in a pharma, in a biopharmaceutical company, or within a you know government research organization, who feels that this would be a great opportunity for them please do not hesitate to reach out to me. It's m.palombini at IEEE.org. Also, as Jonathan mentioned, the training and all the suite of opportunities. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit uh, www.biocomputeobject.org. There's a whole bunch of great information there. Uh, even how the, the whole BioCompute object came to happen. So I think that would be a great resource. And to learn more about the actual standard and other IEEE standards, and also uh, P2791 is featured in our contributions and work we're doing for COVID-19. You can visit standards.ieee.org.
2: On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.